0: Section 37 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, ANCIENT AND MODERN, VOLUME Six, BY VARIOUS AUTHORS, SECTION 37, THE POSITION OF WOMEN IN THE UNITED STATES, FROM THE AMERICAN COMMONWEALTH, BY JAMES BRYCE. JAMES BRYCE, BORN, 1838. JAMES BRYCE WAS BORN AT BELFAST, IRELAND, OF SCOTCH AND IRISH PARENTS. He studied at the University of Glasgow, and later at Oxford, where he graduated with high honours in 1862, and where, after some years of legal practice, he was appointed Regius Professor of Civil Law in 1870. He had already established a high reputation as an original and accurate historical scholar by his prize essay on the Holy Roman Empire, 1864, which passed through many editions, was translated into German, French, and Italian, and remains to-day a standard work, and the best-known work on the subject. Edward A. Freeman said, on the appearance of the work, that it had raised the author at once to the rank of a great historian. It has done more than any other treatise to clarify the vague notions of historians as to the significance of the imperial idea in the Middle Ages, and its importance as a factor in German and Italian politics. And it is safe to say that there is scarcely a recent history of the period that does not show traces of its influence. The scope of this work being juristic and philosophical it does not admit of much historical narrative and the style is lucid but not brilliant it is not in fact as a historian that mr bryce is best known but rather as a jurist a politician and a student of institutions the most striking characteristic of the man is his versatility a quality which in his case has not been accompanied by its usual defects, for his achievements in one field seem to have made him no less conscientious in others, while they have given him that breadth of view which is more essential than any special training to the critic of men and affairs. For the ten years that followed his Oxford appointment, he contributed frequently to the magazines on geographical, social, and political topics. His vacations he spent in travel and in mountain climbing, of which he gave an interesting narrative in Transcaucasia and Ararat, 1877. In 1880 he entered active politics, And was elected to parliament in the liberal interest he has continued steadfast in his support of the liberal party and of mr gladstone whose home rule policy he has heartily seconded in 1886 he became gladstone's under secretary of foreign affairs and in 1894 was appointed president of the board of trade the work by which he is best known in this country the american commonwealth 1888 is the fruit of his observations during three visits to the united states and of many years of study it is generally conceded to be the best critical analysis of american institutions ever made by a foreign author Inferior in point of style to de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, it far surpasses that book in amplitude, breadth of view, acuteness of observation, and minuteness of information, besides being half a century later in date, and therefore able to set down accomplished facts where the earlier observer could only make forecasts. His extensive knowledge of foreign countries, by divesting him of insular prejudice, fitted him to handle his theme with impartiality, and his experience in the practical workings of British institutions gave him an insight into the practical defects and benefits of ours. That he has a keen eye for defects is obvious, but his tone is invariably sympathetic, so much so, in fact, that Goldwyn Smith has accused him of being somewhat hard on England in some of his comparisons. The faults of the book pertain rather to the manner than to the matter. He does not mislead, but sometimes wearies, and in some portions of the work, The frequent repetitions, the massing of details, and the absence of compact statement tend to obscure the general drift of his argument, and to add unduly to the bulkiness of his volumes. THE POSITION OF WOMEN IN THE UNITED STATES FROM THE AMERICAN COMMONWEALTH social intercourse between youths and maidens is everywhere more easy and unrestrained than in england or germany not to speak of france yet there are considerable differences between the eastern cities whose usages have begun to approximate to those of europe and other parts of the country in the rural districts and generally all over the west young men and girls are permitted to walk together drive together go out to parties and even to public entertainments together without the presence of any third person who can be supposed to be looking after or taking charge of the girl so a girl may if she pleases keep up a correspondence with a young man nor will her parents think of interfering She will have her own friends, who, when they call at her house, ask for her, and are received by her, it may be alone, because they are not deemed to be necessarily the friends of her parents also, nor even of her sisters. In the cities of the Atlantic States, it is now thought scarcely correct for a young man to take a young lady out for a solitary drive and in few sets would he be permitted to escort her alone to the theatre. But girls still go, without chaperones, to dances, the hostess being deemed to act as chaperone for all her guests, and as regards both correspondence and the right to have one's own circle of acquaintances, the usage even of New York or Boston allows more liberty than does that of London or Edinburgh. It was at one time, and it may possibly still be, not uncommon for a group of young people who know one another well to make up an autumn party in the woods. They choose some mountain and forest region, such as the Adirondack wilderness west of Lake Champlain, engage three or four guides, embark with guns and fishing-rods, tents blankets and a stock of groceries, and pass in boats up the rivers and across the lakes of this wild country, through sixty or seventy miles of trackless forest, to their chosen camping-ground, at the foot of some tall rock that rises from the still crystal of the lake. Here they build their bark hut, and spread their beds of the elastic and fragrant hemlock boughs the youths roam about during the day tracking the deer the girls read and work and bake the corn cakes at night there is a merry gathering round the fire or a row in the soft moonlight on these expeditions brothers will take their sisters and cousins who bring perhaps some lady friends with them the brothers friends will come too and all will live together in a fraternal way for weeks or months though no elderly relative or married lady be of the party there can be no doubt that the pleasure of life is sensibly increased by the greater freedom which transatlantic custom permits AND AS THE AMERICANS INSIST THAT NO BAD RESULTS HAVE FOLLOWED, ONE NOTES WITH REGRET THAT FREEDOM DECLINES IN THE PLACES WHICH DEEM THEMSELVES MOST CIVILIZED. AMERICAN GIRLS HAVE BEEN, SO FAR AS A STRANGER CAN ASCERTAIN, LESS DISPOSED TO WHAT ARE CALLED FAST WAYS THAN GIRLS OF THE CORRESPONDING CLASSES IN ENGLAND and exercise in this respect a pretty rigorous censorship over one another but when two young people find pleasure in one another's company they can see as much of each other as they please can talk and walk together frequently can show that they are mutually interested and yet need have little fear of being misunderstood either by one another or by the rest of the world It is all a matter of custom. In the West, custom sanctions this easy friendship. In the Atlantic cities, so soon as people have come to find something exceptional in it, constraint is felt, and a conventional etiquette, like that of the old world, begins to replace the innocent simplicity of the older time the test of whose merit may be gathered from the universal persuasion in america that happy marriages are in the middle and upper ranks more common than in europe and that this is due to the ampler opportunities which young men and women have of learning one another's characters and habits before becoming betrothed most girls have a larger range of intimate acquaintances than girls have in europe intercourse is franker there is less difference between the manners of home and the manners of general society the conclusions of a stranger are in such matters of no value so i can only repeat that i have never met any judicious american lady who however well she knew the old world did not think that the new world customs conduced more both to the pleasantness of life before marriage and to constancy and concord after it in no country are women and especially young women so much made of the world is at their feet society seems organized for the purpose of providing enjoyment for them parents uncles aunts elderly friends even brothers are ready to make their comfort and convenience bend to the girl's wishes the wife has fewer opportunities for reigning over the world of amusements because except among the richest people she has more to do in household management than in england owing to the scarcity of servants but she holds in her own house a more prominent if not a more substantially powerful position than in england or even in france with the german hausfrau who is too often content to be a mere housewife there is of course no comparison THE BEST PROOF OF THE SUPERIOR PLACE AMERICAN LADIES OCCUPY IS TO BE FOUND IN THE NOTIONS THEY PROFESS TO ENTERTAIN OF THE RELATIONS OF AN ENGLISH MARRIED PAIR. THEY TALK OF THE ENGLISH WIFE AS LITTLE BETTER THAN A SLAVE, DECLARING THAT WHEN THEY STAY WITH ENGLISH FRIENDS, OR RECEIVE AN ENGLISH COUPLE IN AMERICA, THEY SEE THE WIFE ALWAYS deferring TO THE HUSBAND and the husband always assuming that his pleasure and convenience are to prevail. The European wife, they admit, often gets her own way, but she gets it by tactful arts, by flattery or wheedling or playing on the man's weaknesses. Whereas in America the husband's duty and desire is to gratify the wife and render to her those services which the english tyrant exacts from his consort one may often hear an american matron commiserate a friend who is married in europe while the daughters declare in chorus that they will never follow the example laughable as all this may seem to english women it is perfectly true that the theory as well as the practice of conjugal life is not the same in america as in england there are overbearing husbands in america but they are more condemned by the opinion of the neighbourhood than in england there are exacting wives in england but their husbands are more pitied than would be the case in america in neither country can one say that the principle of perfect equality reigns for in america the balance inclines nearly though not quite as much in favour of the wife as it does in england in favour of the husband no one man can have a sufficiently large acquaintance in both countries to entitle his individual opinion on the results to much weight so far as i have been able to collect views from those observers who have lived in both countries they are in favour of the american practice perhaps because the theory it is based on departs less from pure equality than does that of england these observers do not mean that the recognition of women as equals or superiors makes them any better or sweeter or wiser than English women but rather that the principle of equality by correcting the characteristic faults of men and especially their selfishness and vanity is more conducive to the concord and happiness of a home they conceive that to make the wife feel her independence and responsibility more strongly than she does in europe tends to brace and expand her character while conjugal affection usually stronger in her than in the husband, inasmuch as there are fewer competing interests, saves her from abusing the precedents yielded to her. This seems to be true, but I have heard others maintain that the American system, since it does not require the wife habitually to forego her own wishes, tends if not to make her self-indulgent and capricious yet slightly to impair the more delicate charms of character as it is written it is more blessed to give than to receive a european cannot spend an evening in an american drawing-room without perceiving that the attitude of men to women is not that with which he is familiar at home The average European man has usually a slight sense of condescension when he talks to a woman on serious subjects. Even if she is his superior in intellect, in character, in social rank, he thinks that as a man he is her superior, and consciously or unconsciously talks down to her. She is too much accustomed to this to resent it, unless it becomes tastelessly palpable. Such a notion does not cross an American's mind. He talks to a woman just as he would to a man, of course with more deference of manner, and with a proper regard to the topics likely to interest her, but giving her his intellectual best, addressing her as a person whose opinion is understood by both to be worth as much as his own similarly an american lady does not expect to have conversation made to her it is just as much her duty or pleasure to lead it as the man's is and more often than not she takes the burden from him darting along with a gay vivacity which puts to shame his slower wits it need hardly be said THAT IN ALL CASES WHERE THE TWO SEXES COME INTO COMPETITION FOR COMFORT, THE PROVISION IS MADE FIRST FOR WOMEN. IN RAILROADS, THE END CAR OF THE TRAIN, BEING THAT FURTHEST REMOVED FROM THE SMOKE OF THE LOCOMOTIVE, IS OFTEN RESERVED FOR THEM, THOUGH MEN ACCOMPANYING A LADY ARE ALLOWED TO ENTER IT. AND AT HOTELS, THEIR SITTING-ROOM IS THE BEST, AND SOMETIMES THE ONLY AVAILABLE PUBLIC room. Ladyless guests being driven to the bar or the hall. "'In omnibuses and horse-cars, tram-cars, "'it was formerly the custom for a gentleman to rise "'and offer his seat to a lady if there were no vacant place. "'This is now less universally done. "'In New York and Boston, and I think also in San Francisco, "'I have seen the men keep their seats when ladies entered.' and I recollect one occasion when the offer of a seat to a lady was declined by her, on the ground that as she had chosen to enter a full car, she ought to take the consequences. It was, I was told in Boston, a feeling of this kind that had led to the discontinuance of the old courtesy. When ladies constantly pressed into the already crowded vehicles, the men, who could not secure the enforcement of the regulations against overcrowding, tried to protect themselves by refusing to rise. It is sometimes said that the privileges yielded to American women have disposed them to claim as a right what was only a courtesy, and have told unfavorably upon their manners. I know of several instances besides this one of the horse cars which might seem to support the criticism but cannot on the whole think it well founded the better-bred women do not presume on their sex and the area of good breeding is always widening it need hardly be said that the community at large gains by the softening and restraining influence which the reverence for womanhood diffuses nothing so quickly incenses the people as any insult offered to a woman wife-beating and indeed any kind of rough violence offered to women is far less common among the rudest class than it is in england Field work or work at the pit mouth of mines is seldom or never done by women in america and the american traveller who in some parts of Europe finds women performing severe manual labour, is revolted by the sight in a way which Europeans find surprising. In the farther west, that is to say beyond the Mississippi, in the Rocky Mountain and Pacific states, one is much struck by what seems the absence of the humblest class of women. THE TRAINS ARE FULL OF POORLY DRESSED, AND SOMETIMES, THOUGH LESS FREQUENTLY, ROUGH-MANNERED MEN. ONE DISCOVERS NO WOMEN WHOSE DRESS OR AIR MARKS THEM OUT AS THE WIVES, DAUGHTERS, OR SISTERS OF THESE MEN, AND WONDERS WHETHER THE MALE POPULATION IS CELIBATE, AND IF SO, WHY THERE ARE SO MANY WOMEN. Closer observation shows that the wives, daughters, and sisters are there, only their attire and manner are those of what Europeans would call middle-class and not working-class people. This is partly due to the fact that Western men affect a rough dress. Still, one may say that the remark is often made that the masses of the American people correspond to the middle class of Europe. It is more true of the women than of the men and is more true of them in the rural districts and in the west than it is of the inhabitants of atlantic cities i remember to have been dawdling in a book store in a small town in oregon when a lady entered to inquire if a monthly magazine whose name was unknown to me had yet arrived when she was gone I asked the salesman who she was, and what was the periodical she wanted. He answered that she was the wife of a railway workman, that the magazine was a journal of fashions, and that the demand for such journals was large and constant among women of the wage-earning class in the town. This set me to observing female dress more closely, and it turned out to be perfectly true that the women in these little towns were following the Parisian fashions very closely, and were in fact ahead of the majority of English ladies belonging to the professional and mercantile classes. Of course, in such a town as I refer to, there are no domestic servants except in the hotels. Indeed, Almost the only domestic service to be had in the Pacific States was till very recently that of Chinese. So these votaries of fashion did all their own housework and looked after their own babies. Three causes combine to create among American women an average of literary taste and influence higher than that of women in any European country. These are the educational facilities they enjoy, the recognition of the equality of the sexes in the whole social and intellectual sphere, and the leisure which they possess as compared with men. In a country where men are incessantly occupied at their business or profession, the function of keeping up the level of culture devolves upon women. It is safe in their hands. They are quick and keen-witted, less fond of open-air life and physical exertion than english women are and obliged by the climate to pass a greater part of their time under shelter from the cold of winter and the sun of summer for music and for the pictorial arts they do not yet seem to have formed so strong a taste as for literature partly perhaps owing to the fact that in america the opportunities of seeing and hearing masterpieces except indeed operas are rarer than in europe but they are eager and assiduous readers of all such books and periodicals as do not presuppose special knowledge in some branch of science or learning while the number who have devoted themselves to some special study and attained proficiency in it is large the fondness for sentiment especially moral and domestic sentiment which is often observed as characterizing american taste in literature seems to be mainly due to the influence of women for they form not only the larger part of the reading public but an independent-minded part not disposed to adopt the canons laid down by men and their preferences count for more in the opinions and predilections of the whole nation than is the case in england similarly the number of women who write is infinitely larger in america than in europe fiction essays and poetry are naturally their favorite provinces in poetry more particularly many whose names are quite unknown in europe have attained widespread fame some one may ask how far the differences between the position of women in America and their position in Europe are due to democracy, or if not to this, then to what other cause? They are due to democratic feeling in so far as they spring from the notion that all men are free and equal, possessed of certain inalienable rights, and owing certain corresponding duties. This root idea of democracy cannot stop at defining men as male human beings any more than it could ultimately stop at defining them as white human beings. For many years the Americans believed in equality with the pride of discoverers as well as with the fervor of apostles. Accustomed to apply it to all sorts and conditions of men, they were naturally the first to apply it to women also not indeed as respects politics, but in all the social as well as legal relations of life. Democracy is in America more respectful of the individual, less disposed to infringe his freedom or subject him to any sort of legal or family control, than it has shown itself in continental Europe, and this regard for the individual inured to the benefit of women. Of the other causes that have worked in the same direction, two may be mentioned. One is the usage of the Congregationalist, Presbyterian and Baptist churches, under which a woman who is a member of the congregation has the same rights in choosing a deacon, elder or pastor as a man has. Another is the fact that among the westward-moving settlers women were at first few in number and were therefore treated with special respect. The habit then formed was retained, as the communities grew, and propagated itself all over the country. What have been the results on the character and usefulness of women themselves? Favourable they have opened to them a wider life and more variety of career while the special graces of the feminine character do not appear to have suffered there has been produced a sort of independence and a capacity for self-help which are increasingly valuable as the number of unmarried women increases more resources are open to an american woman who has to lead a solitary life not merely in the way of employment, but for the occupation of her mind and tastes, than to a European spinster or widow, while her education has not rendered the American wife less competent for the discharge of household duties. How has the nation at large been affected by the development of this new type of womanhood, or rather perhaps of this variation on the English type, if women have on the whole gained it is clear that the nation gains through them as mothers they mold the character of their children while the function of forming the habits of society and determining its moral tone rests greatly in their hands but there is reason to think that the influence of the American system tells directly for good upon men as well as upon the whole community. Men gain in being brought to treat women as equals rather than as graceful playthings or useful drudges. The respect for women which every American man either feels or is obliged by public sentiment to profess has a wholesome effect on his conduct and character and serves to check the cynicism which some other peculiarities of the country foster. The nation as a whole owes to the active benevolence of its women and their zeal in promoting social reforms, benefits which the customs of continental Europe would scarcely have permitted women to confer europeans have of late years begun to render a well-deserved admiration to the brightness and vivacity of american ladies those who know the work they have done and are doing in many a noble cause will admire still more their energy their courage their self-devotion no country seems to owe more to its women than america does nor to owe to them so much of what is best in social institutions and in the beliefs that govern conduct. By permission of James Bryce and the Macmillan Company. End of section 37.